Would you please stand if you are able to honor the reading of the gospel? And the gospel story continues. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the gospel of grace. Thanks be to God. It's easy to miss Emmaus. At Easter, it's easy to miss the scripture we call the Emmaus story. If we had Sunday night church, we would hear this story every year because the lectionary suggests this text for Easter evening. And that makes perfect sense because Luke's text for what we call the Emmaus story follows immediately the story of the women at the tomb reporting all they had seen and heard to the disciples. Later that same day, our Luke text begins, later that same day of resurrection. And it's easy to miss the place we call the village of Emmaus. Today, at least four villages all of them no more than seven miles west of Jerusalem, claim to be the Emmaus. This is Emmaus, says one village. No, this is Emmaus, says another. Each claims to be the holy ground where Jesus stayed a little while to break bread with his heartbroken followers before he vanished from their sight. But who really knows where Emmaus is? I remember riding from Jerusalem back to Gaza with my friend Nancy Wingo and seeing a hand-lettered sign pointing to Emmaus. Stop, I told her, we're about to miss it. That's not the way to Emmaus, she said, and we kept driving. Sure enough, soon I saw another sign marked Emmaus, but she wouldn't turn toward that village either. <laughs> then farther down the road, a similar sign to another village. She wouldn't turn toward that Emmaus. We were missing Emmaus. Then soon, a real sign, government issued green with white letters, but this one pointed toward Abu Ghosh. We'll eat lunch here, Nancy said, swerving into the crowded parking lot of a magnificent church that looked rather like a fortress. Besides the church, she said, Abu Ghosh is known for its great hummus and its hospitality, and its big statue of Elvis Presley. <laughs> then while she was locking the car, almost as an afterthought, she said, it's also known for being Emmaus. Who would have guessed? Yes, it's easy to miss Emmaus, 
Maybe the Crusaders had it right when they built the Church of Notre Dame in the Palestinian town now known as Abu Ghosh. They thought this to be the site of the biblical Emmaus. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. No one can say this is exactly where the Easter evening meal happened, and we have built a church here to preserve the event in fixed time and space forever. No one can say, come and take pictures, buy a postcard before you get back on the bus. Go home and tell your friends that you've been to the holy site of Emmaus. It would be easy to do all that and still miss Emmaus. And maybe that's the point. Emmaus is one story, one experience we cannot lock in one time and only one space. Quite the opposite. The Emmaus experience has birthed many stories and many experiences that we cannot lock in time or space. The Emmaus experience can be overwhelming, revealing and life transforming for us as it was for the disciples in the gospel story. They leaned on Jesus every word. So do we. They asked questions. So do we. When Jesus interpreted scripture, they were able to understand the scriptures in a new way. So are we. But still, even with the risen Lord walking beside them, the disciples almost missed him. It's easy to miss Emmaus. Easy to miss the stranger falling in step with us. Easy to miss recognizing Christ in the unexpected conversation, the flash of insight, the dawning awareness that something is changing deep within. It's easy to miss what was once a nagging question being shaped into holy spiritual direction. It's easy to miss the chance to extend an invitation and then see the guest become the host. It's easy to miss the presence of Christ walking with us through the darkness and into the light. The disciples almost missed the full realization of who their guest was until they recognized him in the ordinary act of breaking bread. Since the meal at Emmaus, the disciples' experience has been interpreted in thousands of retellings, some in words, some in visual art. A 17th century Spanish artist, Diego Velazquez, painted two pictures of the meal at Emmaus. One is conventional, almost predictable. Jesus is sitting at the table with Cleopas and his companion. In that painting, Jesus has broken a round, flat loaf of bread. The faces of the two disciples indicate their dawning recognition of him. The other painting of Emmaus by Velazquez is quite different. This is the painting on the front of your worship bulletin. If you want to look at that, that's fine with me. The main figure is an African girl. She was an Islamic Moor in Velazquez's Spain. The artist made the girl the center of the painting. She is handling the rich, gleaming serv serving vessels. The copper shines. Her left hand holds a porcelain wine pitcher. She is about to glance, or has been glancing, over her right shoulder. <coughs> For many years, maybe even centuries, the outer edges of the painting were blackened. 
This painting, part of the collection of Velasquez's kitchen pieces, showed only the girl at the kitchen table tending to her task. For centuries, this was the only part of the canvas that was visible. In 1933, the painting was cleaned. After the restoration, it revealed in the top left corner an opening in the wall behind the servant girl through which to pass food to those in the other room. Look through that opening and you can see three figures sitting at a table, or at least you can see a hand reaching toward Jesus. In a larger, clearer print, you can see the hand of the third figure reaching toward Jesus in the middle. The artist has caught the servant girl in the moment when she has paused from her cleaning and is about to look up to see the guest again. Something or someone seems to have caught her attention. Last week, the painting caught my attention again. I've glanced at it every year this, at this time of the liturgical cycle. But, but I might as well have been looking at the canvas still covered by centuries of grime. And this year I looked at it through a poem by Denise Levertov, who writes through the girl's perspective. Levertov writes, she listens, listens, holding her breath. Surely that voice is his, the one who had looked at her once across the crowd as no one had ever looked had seen her, had spoken as if to her. Surely those hands were his, taking the platter of bread from hers just now, hands he'd laid on the dying and made them well. Surely that face, the man they'd crucified for sedition and blasphemy, the man whose body disappeared from its tomb, the man it was rumored now some women had seen this morning alive. Those who had brought this stranger home to their table don't recognize yet with whom they sit. But she is in the kitchen, absently touching the wine jug she's to take in. A young servant, intently listening, swings round and sees the light around him and is sure. Through the girl's eyes, the poet interprets Luke's words. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And the poet affirms her growing certainty. Surely those hands were his, surely that face. She is sure, she is sure she has seen the Lord. Another writer who commented on this painting wonders if the young girl is looking at the reflection of Jesus in the white pottery vessel to her right. When have you known the risen Christ? When were your eyes opened? When did you recognize him? Frederick Buechner writes, the sacred moments, the moments of miracle, are often the everyday moments, the moments which if we do not look with more than our eyes or listen with more than our ears, reveal only a gardener, a stranger coming down the road behind us, a meal like any other meal. But if we look with our hearts, if we listen with all our being and imagination, what we may see is Jesus himself. The poet has perhaps caught the essence of what the painter was saying. It is not just in the liturgical and set apart, but in the everyday realities of life, 
that we can experience the holy and meet the risen Christ. And both the painter and the poet have, in some way, I think, reminded us of Luke's message, that most of life is actually commonplace and ordinary, like pots and pans, and that wherever we are, whoever we are, and at whatever time in history we are living, we are never isolated from the presence of Christ. We watch and wait and anticipate and hope for the divine to break into our lives with extraordinary clarity and lucidity. And sometimes that is what happens. Words of a poem become more than words. The sound of the human voice or a piano become more than music. The splendor of a sunset becomes a call to stand in silence before the creator. But the Bible suggests that Jesus Christ comes to us in ways that may be far more modest in the daily round, in moments of kindness and compassion, in bread broken and meals shared, in a child announcing the possibility of life, in the brightness of decades giving testimony to a life well lived. Sometimes you look at someone and if the light is just right or the moment translucent enough and you look with the eyes of your heart, there is something of God there. Brother Lawrence, a monk in, the 17th, in 17th century France said, you need not cry very loud. He is nearer to us than we think. And St. Teresa of Avila shared a similar belief when she said, Christ walks among the pots and pans. To her, like to Brother Lawrence, who took up the spiritual task of the everyday, especially in the kitchen, every meal, every task, no matter how daily, no matter how modest, is an opportunity for recognizing the Lord. God doesn't live in a remote corner of the universe, but in the ordinary experiences of your life and heart. God lives not in a remote corner of a painting, but in the kitchen where you are watching, washing the pots and pans. Christ walks among the pots and pans, among the dish towels and the mixing bowls. Christ walks among the lawnmowers and the paint and the paint brushes. Christ walks among the dog at her bowl and the tea steeping in the pitcher. Christ walks among the computer and the file folders, the recycling and the vacuum cleaners the diapers and the blankets, among the car keys and the errands, the cell phone, the laptops, and the visits. Christ comes to you and walks with you wherever you are in the daily rounds of your life. The words practice resurrection are familiar to us this time of year. Kyle Childress, pastor of Austin Heights Baptist Church in Nacogdoches, interprets them in a way that is instructive to those of us looking for the risen Christ. He says, to practice resurrection is somewhat similar to what we mean when we say that a physician has a medical practice or a lawyer has a legal practice. She practices medicine or he practices law. In the case of the church, we practice resurrection. But to practice resurrection means we have to work at it over time under the supervision of competent teachers, coaches, and mentors. Like hitting a curveball or playing the scales on the piano or reading a book, resurrection takes practice 
practice, practice. When we do the things Jesus did and we keep at it day after day and we keep doing those things, prayer, worship, feeding the hungry, forgiving and receiving forgiveness, loving the least of these. And we do these things under the tutelage of the saints, teachers, writers, pastors, and may I add painters and poets from across time and around the globe, then we will become competent in seeing the risen Christ. We practice resurrection until we see the resurrected Christ. It is in the practices that we will see him and know him. So look, the risen Christ comes to those who are trying to follow, trying to love him, trying to be his people, trying to remember, trying not to miss seeing him. The risen Christ comes to his friends, to those who know him in the breaking of bread. It is his gift to them, to us. And we practice looking for Christ all the days, all the years of our lives. Long ago, there was an appearance on the Emmaus Road, and there are still moments when the doors are open to a guest, the scriptures are explained, friendship offers an invitation, the wine is poured and the bread is broken. And if the light is just right and you are practicing looking, you recognize the presence of the resurrected Christ. This is what happened to Cleopas and his companions companion at Emmaus on that first Easter evening, and it is what may happen to us even among the pots and pans on the road to believing. Amen. <laughs>